Okay, this is um, week two of our second topic. Um, so we started last week on the topic of abortion. And so we went through all of the, um, like, defining what it is. Okay, we defined what it is. And we were talking specifically about, this is, that was on the page one, the induced abortion, one that is brought about by external um, actions. And then we went through the specific descriptions, the different medical and surgical, procedural, um, different ways that it can happen, and all of the court cases kind of leading up to just recently. And then we had kind of wrap, wrapped up. Uh, we talked about the different positions of always, you know, people that are on the one far end of the spectrum that think abortion should always be available, kind of the middle section that should be rarely available, and those would say never. And so we were just getting into the biblical response to this, and we read through Psalm 139 and uh, a couple of other psalms, and we ended up, the last thing we did was talk about Luke, um, about how when Elizabeth and Mary were both pregnant with child, um, that the language, the, term, <clears throat> the language and the terminology describing the baby and the child in their womb was the same language and description that they are, are using same words for uh, a young baby, a, bo- a, a born baby. So if you got the handout, let's go to page eight is where we left off. We're just getting ready to read from Exodus. So if you have a handout or if you've got your Bible, you can go to Exodus 21. And so we talked about how this was a law for the Old Te- in the Old Testament for the Jews. It's not, not a law that we're under today, but it helps to inform uh, what God sees and how God sees this issue. So, <coughs> excuse me, I, my voice is a little iffy this week, so I'll do my best. So, if I got a volunteer, want to read Exodus 21, 22 to 24. Tanner, you got it? 22 and 24? 21 from 22 to 24. The men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, strike for strike. Yeah. So one of the things we want to look at is we have several people here. We have the two men or, or more fighting. We have the pregnant woman, and then we have the child or children, right? That is that is born as the midst of, an, of being struck in the midst of this fight. So think, of, imagine a, a bar brawl or something like that. There's there's a lot of players, a lot of action going on, and there's this this woman gets gets caught in a way. And so what we want to get from this is what does this inform, the God's judgment and his penalty, what does this do to inform us about how he views this, um, the child? So there's a couple different interpretations. So the first one we'll talk about is miscarriage interpretation. So if um, you take this interpretation, it's the woman attempts to break the fight up or she's caught up in the fight. She goes into labor <coughs> and she, there's a fine because she miscarries, okay? If further damage is done to the woman, then the law of retribution applies. So in this view, um, if she miscarries, right, does not deliver a live child, there's a fine. But if she is harmed, all of the penalties, life for life, is really talking about her. That's kind of this, that's one view, one interpretation. So there are several kind of issues that will take us to why, why we would, wouldn't apply that issue. So one of the things is that if you look at the term what, that's used here, uh, it's not a term that's used in other places for miscarriage. Okay, there is a term that says uh, if you miscarry, there's a there's a word for that. That's not the word that's used in the text. It does, does not say, and if you look at the English as well, it doesn't say so that she miscarries, right? Which the, the Old Testament does have a a, a term for that, um, and we'll look at what that is um, here in a bit. But uh, it's the normal term for, you know, just giving birth. Um, uh, it makes no distinction between harm done either to the mother or the child. 
So it just says, if there's injury, without saying if she is injured, right? So look, if you look again, um, yet there is no injury, right? But if there is further injury, so in both those cases, it's not specifying if she is injured or if the baby is injured. So just if there's injury there. Um, so that absence of pronouns is kind of one problem with saying it's only applying to the female. Um, so then there's a kind of like, well, what? Let's say, let's grant, maybe. What if? What if this? What if they? In spite of those problems. Uh, even if that's true, it does not. Con it wouldn't condone abortion, in the sense that, um, in abortion, it's separate in that you're. It's something purposeful, and here this is something that's uh, unintentional or or accidental. Um, you would still conclude, like at point D, right, that the death of the infant is evil, as God requires a punishment um, to the ones who are causing this. He's, he's definitely pronouncing a judgment. Um, if it's, if it's correct, um, it's in keeping with the law of Moses, which does not require the death penalty for accidental death. The text can't argue that a fetus is less than human or not human just because it, gives a le it, it could give a lesser penalty for, um, for the death of the, the child. So um, there's a case um, just a little immediately before where if... Um, a master accidentally, right? He's maybe he's uh, punishing a slave and accidentally kills the slave. He is, um, I believe, he's he's penalized, but not through his life. And so, just because capital punishment isn't given, doesn't mean that the victim is not human. In the same way that the slave would still a human life, um, even if it's not capital punishment, that wouldn't. So there's kind of two things you want to notice here is one, we, we wouldn't necessarily hold that that's the best interpretation, and even if that is the right interpretation, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be strong enough to condone or endorse um, yeah. abortion. What do, you, uh, what do you think of those things? What, what, anything strike you uh, in terms of what's the strongest or best? Yeah, go ahead. Well, for one, um, a really fascinating aspect legally of this is that um, so, so murder is categorized by intent, but if you accidentally commit murder, or you 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 kill somebody in mm -hmm. this way, even if you were aiming for somebody else and mm -hmm. the intent to cause damage was there, mm -hmm. even if you don't strike the intended person, mm -hmm. um, the the mens rea, which is like you need to have intent aspect of the law. Mm -hmm. um, recognizes your intent regardless of whom it was intent upon. Mm -hmm. So if you try to, if you're trying to strike somebody else and miss and strike the woman, mm -hmm. um, it would actually, we, we, we'd have the exact same penalty today. Uh, but it, it would still be taken in the same way because the, the law doesn't care who you're aiming for. It cares that you had the intent to begin with. Yeah. And I'm not, not the law expert, but like, You've got like premeditation and intent, and then you've got no premeditation, but the, their intent was to kill, and then you have accidental, there was no intent, but you did kill. Like all of those are different kind of legal differentiations between. And that's going to kind of come up a little bit in this, a little bit more too. When we get to that end, if you notice at the end, it, he does say, um, then you, sh you shall appoint a penalty, life for life. So there, there may be a, a point of that. Anything else, you guys, before we, in that view? Yeah. This part of why, when, like, if there's an automobile accident, mm -hmm. say, and a pregnant woman is killed, the person that caused the accident is charged for her death, and then there's a question whether they charge them for the death of the fetus or of the child that she was carrying. And I know sometimes they get into great big contention, squabbles, whatever you want to call it, yeah. uh, even in court as mm -hmm. to what the decision should be made because obviously he killed the woman, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he also caused the death 
of the child she was carrying. Yes. So the question is, is he held responsible mm -hmm. for both deaths or just one? So one of the things that's happening right now is a, it's an example of us still dealing with the question that God dealt with here thousands, multiple thousands of years ago. Is there's many <coughs> states and legislations who are working on um, defining the unborn as a person, and if they are a person, then that would affect that, that question. Whether or not the person, if you if you cause the death of a pregnant woman, whether or not that's one murder, or is that two murders, two manslaughter. Um, so that's something that it right now I think that depends upon a lot of the laws of the, the places where you're at. Yeah. If you're looking for a word between the two, you can just call it homicide. Homicide, it, yeah. yeah. Someone died. <laughs> well, let's look at um, another like different interpretation. That would be the premature live childbirth view. So the um, in Exodus 21 through 22 to 25, the passage we just read, um, that in a safe, premature birth, the fine is levied. So they caused the child to be born alive, but they caused it prematurely. Right? But in the next verse, if harm is done to the child or the mother, then a judge will require an eye for an eye. Consequently, if the child dies, the men who unintentionally sent the mother into labor will receive the death penalty. So this is what you're, you're mentioning before. So <clears throat> you'll notice that um, the death penalty is reserved for first and second degree murder and not manslaughter in other places where God says if, you, if a man, they're swinging an ax in a forest and he axe head flies off and the man dies, right? He's not, um, it's not capital punishment because it was an accident, it was a manslaughter. But here, Right? We see that if it's accidental but this, the child or the mother dies, what happens to the, the men? What's this view saying? They die. They die. Right. Life for life. Life for life. So God places a greater premium on the life of this mother and the child. Okay. So why might that be? Uh, a better view. So we talked about before the normal Hebrew word for miscarriage is not used. So <clears throat> whether or not the child is born live or not is kind of a key issue to determine what's what's going on in this picture. So let's look at a couple of other verses um, that talk about miscarriage. So Genesis <clears throat> 31, 38, Exodus 23, 26, and Job 2, 10. So let's see. <clears throat> Um, Abe, you want to get Genesis 31, 38? Mm -hmm. Gabe, can you get Exodus 23, 26? Carson, Job 2, 10? <coughs> All right. So let's see. What's Genesis 31, 38? Genesis 31, 38. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your females <coughs> have not miscarried, I have not eaten the rams of your flock. Yeah, so he's talking about goats here, right? They haven't miscarried. They haven't. He uses that specific term. And then Exodus 23. Verse 26. <laughs> there shall be no one miscarrying or bearing in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Mm -hmm. And then Job. Job 2.10. Uh, he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept Adversity and all this, Job did not submit to this. So. Wait, is that the right one? Job 2.10? Maybe that's the wrong verse. I thought I looked that one up. Hmm. I don't know why. Anyway, I know there's three of them. Is that not the third one? Hmm. We'll check it later. Uh, so they had this word for miscarry. They also had a word for um, that they use for stillborn. Uh, use it in um, in Job. He used it in Psalms and Ecclesiastes. So they had miscarry. They had 
uh, child that was born stillborn. 3210. 30, what is it? What? Is it 3210? Is it? What's it say? 3210? No, no, no. Nope. No, don't stop talking. <laughs> okay. It's in there somewhere. We'll find, find out later. But um, that's, not, that's not what's going on here. So um, when I was looking up, it, it, the words that they use are basically it's a child is born. A child comes forth. It's, there's no mention of it being stillborn or miscarrying. It's a child is born. It's kind of that literal language of the, the passage that we're talking about. So C, like we were talking about earlier with the pronouns, the word injury, it's indefinite. It does not have any sort of uh, association that strictly it's with the mother or the child. So if God had meant, or if Moses had meant to write, if the child is injured or if the mother's injured, he could have very easily given us that language say, and, and described it and associated it using the proper, the proper pronouns. So, I think what we mean here is that according to what's listed above, what would happen if the woman delivered a live baby and then the baby died? Is that right? So the baby is born, it's alive, and then it dies as a result. What would be the punishment? Yeah, life for life. Did you say fine or life? I said fine. Oh, no, I thought it was live here. So... Let's go back and check. The read it read the passage one more time. <coughs> My page is mixed up here. Where's page eight. If I can. Yes, sir. Uh, so the the verse is just saying whatever happens to the child, it should be happening to you as a result. Uh, Yeah. So looking at it again, if there's no injury, right? They have the fight, the woman gets struck, and she gives birth, the woman's fine, the baby's fine. What happens? Yes. He shall surely be fine. And it says, as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. So maybe the husband says, you know, you owe us this, and the judges agree. They pay a fine. Everybody's okay. All good. All good, right? But if there's any further injury, then you should all appoint. And then they have that, right? Eye for the eye. Life for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. So the baby dies. It's uh, death penalty. The mother dies. So again, the point is that the not that we're talking about what the punishment ought to be. It's that to recognize that in this context we see that God values that woman's life, the pregnant woman's life, as equally as much as the baby that is caused to be born if the baby dies. Okay. I gotta I got get my pages off. Okay. So I think where we're at is that, I think last time I was trying to say that, you know, our most concise uh, description of the biblical um, view is that abortion is murder. It's the shortest way to condense it. And so we were kind of worked on defining what abortion is. And then we've been talking about how in order for it to be murder, right, we have to establish that the the baby is a, an actual baby. It's a human life. And kind of that's, a, that's where we're at now. And so the part we're getting ready for now is the difficult circumstances. So um, oftentimes in the discussion about abortion, we talk about lots of things like, we'll talk about the woman's health. What if there's rape? What if there's incest? Okay, Lots of these different things. What if there's difficulties in the pregnancy? Right. What what are the views? What do we what can we say about that biblically? So that's kind of this, and we'll look at we'll look at several of them. So looking at this first one is the mother's health. So what we're talking about now, when we say in the context of the class, we're gonna talk about health, we're talking about her physical 
well-being. Um, we're not really talking about her, her mental health, her emotional well-being. Um, so there are situations that happen that threaten the life of the mother. Right. Um, one example is the ectopic pregnancy. And so that's where the gestation takes place, somewhere outside the uterus, which most of the time is the fallopian tube that this happens. So if the baby's not removed, both he and the mother, he or she and the mother will die. And so ethicists agree that one is not guilty for failing to do something which they are not free to do. In the case of ectopic pregnancy, the woman cannot save the life of the child. And so, just to try to draw it out, let's say we have this ectopic. Ectopic, okay. And then we have the removal or abortion of that ectopic pregnancy, right? And the question is, what, what is causing the death of the child? And this is where the ethical, this is where the clarity needs to come in, is that if the, if the ectopic pregnancy cannot result in birth, right, then that is what is the cause of death of the child. If it can, right, if there's a way in which that you can correct this or transplant it, and this is where medicine is constantly, we have to, when we, when we talk about the ethics of birth control, we have to constantly be trying to understand what's possible medically, mm -hmm. right? So if there's a way to allow this um, baby that's growing back into the uterus to transplant, if there's something like that possible, then that would be preferable. If there's no medical way to save the life or if the, the, the fetus is already dead um, inside, then that's the question is which one is causing the, the death of the child. That's, that's why if you deal with a, that special case, right, you might choose not to get an abortion and to let the child grow in the fallopian tube, but you're, um, that, that, that's not something that you're morally obligated to do because you may, there may be no, no sign that there's any possible way to, to save the life. Yes, sir. So, uh, a widely debated topic um, amongst a lot of my, my college peers, mm -hmm. at the very least in, in my criminal justice program back in Chicago, was um, the matter of, of uh, pregnancies where there was a risk of death. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, we may cover this at some point later on, yep. so if that's the case... Maybe I should just save it for then. So just go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, the the general consensus we came down to, although I can't say this is fully biblically founded, was that <clears throat> if I mean you know there's obviously a couple people who are always fighting about the extremes, but the general consensus was um, if one of the lives is in danger and can be saved by ending the other, so if if, if one will die no matter what then at that point, that's an acceptable gray, gray area. Because instead of killing a life, you're saving a life. If both are guaranteed to die, mm -hmm. or if even one of them is guaranteed to die, mm -hmm. um, then there's not an inherent morality uh, in regards mm -hmm. to taking the, taking the child's life or allowing the child to grow and then having that kill the mother. Exactly. Um, but so, again, I'd love to know biblically what, what the answer So when we think about why murder is wrong, right, it's that God values human life. It's created in his image. And so you're getting at really the heart is that with a pregnancy, you have two lives, right? And ideally, we want both of those lives to live. Um, if we're in a situation where the potential is that both of them are going to die, which can be in this ectopic pregnancy, then yes, there is a sense in which if your goal is, right, when you think about what is the goal, if the goal is we're going to save the mother's life for, and, and the, there's no potential way in which to save the child's life, that could be a morally um, acceptable route. Okay. And Scott, 
generally an ectopic pregnancy is considered non-viable. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is determined mm -hmm. extremely early because mm -hmm. a fetus can't develop. Mm -hmm. um, and right. so there comes a point that most women's life is in danger and that baby is non-viable. And so that's, that's, again, that's where amongst um, pro-life um, advocates, it's very important that you have that discussion. If you've got someone that says, no, there's, a you know, there's some way to save this, right? You have to talk about, is that really a possibility, right? And so maybe one day there's some way to do some medical magic, but... That's the key distinction, is whether or not, is it, are you really ending the life, or is this something that's completely unviable from the, from the, from the get-go? Oh, yeah. the, 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 I'm trying to understand Malachi's question and clarify, too. Like, I completely get that side, but mm -hmm. there's also, um, it's, it's not a but, it's, um, it's the other side of the question, or part of this question, the baby is not viable, not outside of an ectopic. Baby is not going to survive. <clears throat> baby, but mom will be fine. So, for example, there's been in the news the um, trisomy 18, or however you say mm -hmm. that, the mother that couldn't afford um, that baby in Texas that so went somewhere else. Mm. Um, so, but that baby could have been viable for some time after birth. Mm. They didn't know for sure. Some yeah. live, some, some don't survive birth. All the mm -hmm. other is fine. So that's the other side of the coin. Right. That's the bigger side of the coin, I think, because, I mean, I think we all agree that the yeah. topic is not. Mm -hmm. But that's the, the side that's really being yeah, and debated. There's there's at least a third of the states that have viability as a part of their law, and that's something that's, it is extremely gray because no one knows. I mean, life and death is in the Father's hands, and like, you have an idea of when a viable age is, but you hear, you know, the story of the earliest, youngest that, that lives continues to get younger and younger, and it may, and there's a lot of times there's probabilities that it doesn't seem viable, but it has happened. And so the question is, if the mother's life is not at risk, right, what should you do? Right? Should, you, should you abort this, even if it's very unlikely or even if it may live only a few moments? Mm -hmm. I think yeah, that's, that's a major difference in the, that is major. the health of the mother. Because in the case of a trisomy, those babies can go full term and, and live. live. And, live. Mm -hmm. and, and the mother is never in danger. Mm -hmm. that's a, that is a, an abortion of convenience. Mm -hmm. The other is an abortion truly of life and death. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's important to make that distinction because in the value of them both amendment, yeah. that was the thing that they kept saying is that <coughs> we won't even be allowing ectopic pregnancies. So we're going to be dooming these mothers. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to make the distinction. We are always for saving life. Mm -hmm. And the trisomy 18 does not threaten a life. Mm -hmm. Ectopic pregnancy has destroyed one already mm -hmm. and threatens to destroy a second. Yeah. Yeah. So in rescuing the mother, yes, we always mm -hmm. are for life. Mm -hmm. But then the, there's the third side to this coin, which is where it lands straight, like in the middle, the middle part, which is the mother, if, if like the kid will be healthy, or the mother will be healthy, or the child will die, or the mo mother will die. Like, like there's, there's the split. I don't know if I'm being clear at all here. Yeah, so like, there's the like the example would be pregnant woman has cancer. cancer. Mm -hmm. She yeah. can choose mm -hmm. cancer treatment that will save her life or withhold cancer treatment to save the baby's life. Exactly. So that's the situation. And okay. so I, I don't know. I, again, mm -hmm. I think purely logically, at the end of the day, I think it's better to not take it because then you're not taking active steps to end a life. Mm -hmm. You're allowing nature to take its course, but obviously reality is a very mm -hmm. different thing, right? So then, how do we how do we handle with grace and a, at least some measure of tact a sort of situation and loving these people in these really difficult s situations? How do we how do we how do we best love them through this? 
Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, it, I'm not gonna say it happens all the time, but I think I think it happens more than more than we think of. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we care for these people who are in this really difficult ethical dilemma about either their life or their child's life? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes to you know when you talk about the husband and the wife. That's a that's a giving of your life, a sacrificial giving of your life, and you're not. If you see someone, um, you know, in danger, and you know that you you think you can save them, but it will cost you your life. Um, I don't believe you're morally obligated to sacrifice your life though it would be a heroic action mm-hmm. to do so. In the sense that it would be a wonderful, sacrificial, honorable thing for the woman to forego treatment because she wants to sacrifice of herself, knowing that she is, she's avoiding the saving of her own life to save the life of her child. But it would be also morally justifiable to preserve her life, to save her life, even though that may cause because the goal, remember that if your goal is saving life and you have these two lives at risk and you, do, you, you may be fairly certain that saving one could cause the death of the other, right? There's always this uncertainty. The, the goal to save one life is not saying that you're intentionally taking the other life. And there's a, there is a distinction there. What, what causes the evil is when you are, your goal is to end one life. Right? If your goal is to save a life, and by doing so, it may or may not, even if there's a high probability of certainty, result in the, the death of the other, that is not um, something that we're, we're morally guilty in that, in that essence. Mm-hmm. But the, so the thing with the atopic pregnancy is the risk is you lose both. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is, that's 100% guaranteed if you do mm-hmm. nothing. Right. So then, then, so which life is valued? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Right. Exactly. So, the the like what you're saying is that if you have the mother and the child, right, and you know, right, that okay, we do nothing, both die, right. If we do something, we can save one life. Then that makes that decision a clear moral choice. Mm-hmm. Um, in in. in all the medical varieties, that's always the question is, can both live, okay? Is that possible? That's when the ethical, right? If only one can live, right, then that changes your your choice. There might be a situation um, where it's a mother of seven who's pregnant and the father dies in war. And if she sacrifices her life, she leaves seven kids orphaned and with the eighth on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so ethically, it's called supererogatory, above and beyond the call of duty. Mm-hmm. So there's an example of a woman in Italy who did forego cancer treatment to have the baby, and then she died shortly thereafter. And so, I mean, it's a noble act, mm-hmm. but it's not ethically required. Mm-hmm. It's above and beyond the call of duty. And yeah. it could also be the noble act to live and care for your children. Yeah. Very clear, right? <laughs> <coughs> well, unfortunately, with the technology and medicine, so it's going to get grayer and grayer. Mm-hmm. Because as we develop more technology, just like you said, there could be a technology to transplant that ectopic pregnancy into a uterus. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think it's coming. Yeah. Sure. We're transplanting organs. Yeah. You know, there's, and I just think the gray areas are going to get wider and wider. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the great things is that, you know, we're not reading in the scriptures about ectopic pregnancies, but we're, we're getting the principles about human life when it begins, God values that help us to, as you dis- as you. Slice those out. What's possible? Who's at who's at risk? You can then clearly have a guide to make that decision at that point. Where, Judy? I might get wrong in saying this, but in some of these cases, like the one day 
mentioned about the lady with cancer. Mm -hmm. The medical field doesn't make the decision. They give you the options. Mm -hmm. And then the parents of this, well, the pregnant woman and her husband make the decision mm -hmm. as to what their choice mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Not what the doctor's choice would be or a med you know, the insurance company or whoever <laughs> wants to fight about it. Yeah. Uh, it basically would come down to the mom and dad's decision as to what to do, whether the woman wants to go through with the pregnancy and have the child even though there's danger to herself mm -hmm. or if she wants to abort and save mm -hmm. her own life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I can see both sides myself. Mm -hmm. I forgo my life to save my child. Yeah. Uh, this comes from a mother that lost a child not through pregnancy, but I would do anything to save my child. Mm -hmm. yeah. And not, not what some people would maybe consider within reason, because to a lot of people that's not reasonable to give up your life to save your unborn child. Mm -hmm. Okay. It can be looked at in yeah. many different directions. Well, yeah, yeah. In the case where it's a, it's a sacrificial, where, where only one's um, has a chance there, it's definitely it would be a tough choice for the, the mother and the, because ideally, like I said, ideally, everybody wants mother and baby to, to live, and so it's never going to be an easy, easy choice. And so, your point about how do we support people, knowing if if, if people are in that situation, just being there to. To support them, to pray with them, and to encourage them that you know God values both of your lives, and we want as much as possible that both of you live, and we're here to you know help you as much as we can, even if not, we're not going to be able to save save both of you. Let's look at okay the next one. Okay, so again, that was a big one that was brought up in uh, like when we had the value them both amendment. Um, another one that's that's mentioned a lot of times in debate is <clears throat> pregnancies caused by rape or incest, right? So we have this very different category in the sense that, right, the key difference is that the mother did not willingly participate in the conception of the child, right? Which is a key, there's this, you're taking away this sense of responsibility for the birth. There's, there's no longer that, that case. And so you have a tremendous amount of harm and damage to the mother, the humiliation, the shame, there's a lot of anger. And this child is a, is a constant reminder that it's resulted from that act. Um, if it's incest, it could re result in, uh, in severe handicaps. Um, and so the, the main thing to remember is we have this this evil act on behalf of the perpetrator. We have the mother who's the victim, and then we also have the third party, which is the child, right? And so we have to ask, was the child complicit in this in any way? Is the child guilty in any way of um, participating in this wrong? Were they, you know, active? No, right? Whether or not, um, whatever the cause, it's never right to commit an act of evil to achieve a good. So a good would be, you know, it would be good for the, the mother if this had never happened, if they could make it as if it never happened. Um, but although they are acts of extreme violence, it would not justify to take another act of violence against this unborn child. Um, taking and um, abusing and violating the, the body of the mother doesn't justify ending the life of the child. Um, it would still be murder. And so I guess the question is, if a woman is a victim of rape or incest 
and we want to, to convince her that abortion is not an option. What, how would you counsel her? What, what are her other options? Adoption. Adoption is one. What else is a possibility? Raise the baby. Raise the baby. Raise the baby. Right? There's a couple. Um, you know, I was curious because um, it, oftentimes um, advocates of abortion, they seem to think or accuse or paint a picture that people aren't adopting these unwanted babies. So does anyone want to guess, for every baby that's placed in adoption, how many families are there that are waiting for a baby? What do you think the ratio is? 10 to 1, it's higher than that. It's about 36 to 1. So for every baby that's placed with a family that's uh, looking to adopt, there are 36 families waiting for a baby to be adopted. Um, if you look at, so that's the number of babies that are actually placed. If you look at the most recent data, and again, it's hard to be very accurate, um, but we're down from our high in the mid-90s of around 2 million abortions a year to around a million. And there's about 2 million families looking to adopt a baby. So for every baby that's aborted, there's at least two families that are looking to adopt a baby. So that, that idea that, well, we aren't doing enough and there's not enough people willing to adopt. And these are just families who are said, I'm looking to adopt. There doesn't include the number of families who would say, there's a baby, that, you know, would you be willing to adopt it? Because I think there's a large number of families who aren't looking to adopt, but if you said, this baby needs a home, right, they'd be saying, yes, sign us up. So there is no shortage of homes for babies looking to be adopted. Yeah? I looked this up two or three years ago, so it's very possible that the statistics have changed. Mm -hmm. um, another thing people like to throw in my face was saying, like, well, if you're a Christian, why don't Christians adopt more? Mm -hmm. She statistically, as far as I'm aware, um, evangelical Christians are the number one um, mm -hmm. Adopt, Adopters. Like adopt, adopting mm -hmm. category, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a great thing. We do wish <coughs> more people mm -hmm. were adopting. Um, but also, <coughs> I think it's good to remember, even while considering the horrors of uh, assault mm -hmm. in this manner, um, I think it's important to remember how statistically small this is. Oh yeah. Not, not to say that it's not important or not worth debating or not worth mm -hmm. being part of the argument because mm -hmm. it is and we have great answers for it but it's also to, good to keep in mind the whole which is that pregnancies caused by rape and incest are incredibly small like the, the percentile. Inter yeah in, in terms of the number of abortions that those represent yes. Yeah. It's usually two to three percent, one percent. Yeah, that that seems high to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's I, I I could have sworn seeing it being like like point two percent. Yeah, like it's it's a, an astoundingly small number. And so while it's worthwhile to look at, mm -hmm. um, and I've you know, had a lot of arguments with a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, about about it, it's also important to remember. Like in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of abortion, that the vast majority of, of abortion is specifically because it was going to interrupt the way the individual wanted to live their lives. Yeah. Not that we can't feel horrible for them because it might make their life difficult, sure. but murder, that doesn't mean murder is an option. Yeah. The other number they throw into that is the number of children in foster care. Yeah. Right. And so that's an interesting um, caveat because we have to remember that. Um, by and large, foster care um, is not the, the same in the sense that it's, um, in the abortion, you, the, the mother does not want, right, they don't want the child, where oftentimes foster care is that the parent has, for some other reason, lost the state, said, you're not capable of parenting right now, and they've removed the child, but the mindset and the logic is that our goal is that you can. And so their, their goal is to reunify 
that child with their family. And that's why those kids aren't automatically with another family who would be happy to take them. You know, there's tons of families who would be happy to parent children. Those kids are in the foster system because the state is waiting and trying to get the parents to where they can parent their own children. And they don't want to be, we don't want to be a state that just breaks up families, right? And so it's this slowness of the process of trying to work with parents who have lost this, right, through abuse or drug use or through whatever reason. The state said it's not safe for them to be there, right? And so it's a very different mentality as to why and a justification why kids are in the foster. Mm-hmm. There's foster a ton system. of violence and inappropriate behavior towards children in the foster system. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's another thing that we can't overlook. Um, yep. But I think at the end of the day, the argument that I get, no matter how well I've argued anything else, is sometimes it's better to just be dead. <laughs> And always made by someone who's alive. Always made by someone who's alive. Staying alive. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I, th- I think they're like, you know, if they're poor and disabled and this yeah. and that, it'd be better to be dead. But the fact is that, that people with disabilities are often those who are most willing to fight to live. Yeah. Yeah, and like, that's the key thing, is that that argument is usually made, always made by someone living, wants to remain living, um, for the most part, but... Yeah, making that decision for someone else's. I think, too, when we have that discussion as believers, we need to remember that children are a gift from the Lord. And that's not only in certain circumstances. It's always. Children are always a gift from the Lord. And one of my best friends growing up, where I grew up is down in L.A. It's close to a border, mm-hmm. and it's in a Latino area, which is highly Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so I knew multiple people who were the, the product of rape. And mothers had fled. And one of my best friends growing up was in that circumstance, and her mother happily, proudly raised her. I think she was maybe 17 when she had her. Mm-hmm. And this girl grew up to do like great things, mm-hmm. go to college, et cetera, et cetera. And the idea that Soraya would ever look at her daughter as anything other than a blessing mm-hmm. never crossed her mind because she knew the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I think we cannot be ashamed to say to a young woman, this child is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. That rape was an act of Satan. But this child is a gift from God. Yeah. And a gift either for you or for someone that you may give this child to. But yeah. that's like that child is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Not tainted by how he or she was conceived. Yeah. And even I mean, you can look uh, in the Old Testament, even through the genealogy of Jesus, of some of the very immoral ways in which some of the people in that line were conceived. Um, thinking about um Perez, I'll go back and look at it later. But yes, there's some very immoral ways that people were conceived mm-hmm. that God used those people mm-hmm. in mighty ways, even scripturally, as you look yeah. back. Okay, all right. Not not easy topics, right? Not easy topics. Uh, so look at look at point C. Uh, maybe we'll we'll end with this one. So. Pregnancies that would face fetal handicaps. So this is something I just remember um, whenever we were pregnant and expecting. Just this, there was always this sense of desiring to be ready for whatever um, God gave you as a child, whether it's a boy or it's a girl, healthy or not healthy. There's a sense in which um, God sovereignly gives you you know, the life that, that he gives you. And so, you know, when we address it, it's a tremendous amount of sacrifice and it's a tremendous amount of work depending upon the severity of the particular handicap of the child. Um, some are mild, some are more extreme. Um, like we said, some, some babies may only live a few hours, some months or day, days or months. Um, and so the recognition is that although it's painful, Again, it, it, it's not a justification for an immoral abortion or a murder of the, the child. And I think um, we often shy away from or reject the idea that God um, chooses sometimes to hardship and suffering for us and maybe and for our families and for our children and that he works through that suffering. Um, you know, life and death are in God's hands we don't have that right 
to, to take that to take that life. And I think, you know, when you think about the quality of life, that's 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 a, a very kind of dangerous argument to, to say when you talk to someone when they say um, they 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 shouldn't be allowed to live because they won't have a quality of life because there's so many things that go into who determines your quality of life and there's a lot of people that wouldn't exist if, if we were to end it for quality of life issues because we all have suffering met, you know medical suffering we have a variety of ways of suffering and I know we tend to go too fast in today's world and call the other side Nazis but starting with the disabled is literally what the Nazis did and, and it was the exact same argument. Mm -hmm. you know, I, don't, I don't love to draw those parallels because it feels like an exaggeration, mm -hmm. but this is, this is actually logically, fundamentally, pretty much mm -hmm. word for word for how, for how the eugenics and euthanasia mm -hmm. party started in, in Germany. Yeah. And sometimes um, severe comparisons are necessary because um, sometimes people have their sense of evil has so eroded that it takes a very severe example to kind of snap them into the idea that there, there is real evil that takes place. Yeah. And what does it look like? Okay, what did it look like when it happened? Yeah. And I think another argument is, like, are the Special Olympics good for society? Is it good for our society to have um, accommodations for the weak? Mm -hmm. Um, and I know uh, Special Olympics is dying uh, because you know all the um, special needs kids are being aborted. Hmm. Now there's there's a goodness of human nature that comes out mm -hmm. in taking care of them. Yeah, and many times I see this at the high school when we have uh, disabled or, or special needs students. Is that some of my roughest or hardest students are become more soft and compassionate when they interact. Um, it creates it creates an opportunity for them to show care towards someone that's less able, who has um, who has more more difficulty, more struggling. They see someone that find that in a sense is worse off than than maybe they are in some ways. And so it, they they are kind of pricked with compassion and, and love. Okay, well, let's wrap it up there for today. We'll, we'll kind of start with thought questions and, and kind of wrap things up next week. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for just your word and how it informs us as we talk through life and death. And God, in the, as, the, as the times change, I pray that you would just remind us of how to understand and interpret um, legal issues, medical issues, um, how to counsel and encourage people who are facing these questions and even some of these special cases. Um, but as a, as a rule, God, I pray that we would just put our whole hope and trust in you and in your goodness, and I pray that we as a church would be clear and vocal and loudly proclaiming just the goodness of who you are and your truth and how much you value man who is made in your image. We give you great thanks and praise this morning and pray that we might continue to bring you great glory in our worship of you today. In Jesus' name, amen.